Um, yeah, let's go to Psalm 107. Uh, as I have shared with you many times on many occasions, um, God's calling upon my life is to help people find forgiveness and freedom through faith in Jesus Christ. And the anchor verse that I use for that is found in Romans 1.16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation. And that word salvation, God saves us. He, he wants to heal us. He wants to heal up our ravaged souls. He wants to deliver us from the, the mindset that Satan uses against us that keeps us entrapped in the old ways of thinking that hinders our freedom in Christ. And sometimes God wants to heal us physically and emotionally and spiritually, uh, whatever is needed. So in Romans chapters 1 through 4, uh, Paul has dealt with the aspect of the forgiveness. Uh, before we came to faith in Christ, we were clothed in guilt and shame. But after our relationship with Jesus, we were justified in God's sight, which means our sins are forgiven past, present, and future. Now, rather than being clothed in guilt and shame, I am clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. And that God has infused us with faith, not only the faith to believe in Christ to be Savior and Lord of our life, but also the faith that we need day in and day out as God is molding and fashioning us into the image of Jesus. And so in chapters 5 through 8, Paul really dives into the freedom aspect. How, how do we live out this freedom that God has given to us in Christ? And uh, today I want to take a little side note because... The reason why we need freedom is because we have three enemies. We have Satan, we have the flesh, we have the world. And so we have to learn how to navigate around those things if we're going to walk in the freedom that Jesus came to give to us, that truth that, that sets us free. And so this is hard for us to, uh, to understand. We talked about the benefits of believing in Christ in the first 11 verses of Romans 5. And one of them was there is, there is purpose in our pain. And so Paul says in Romans 5 that pain develops perseverance, which means to remain under the load, to remain, to persevere, not to give up, not to throw in the towel, not to walk away from your faith, not to deconstruct your faith, which is what the enemy wants, but to persevere in the love and the admonition of the Lord. And God will, over time, develop our character and our character into hope. And I want to add one to that, and what I really want to talk about today is that as you persevere in the pain that you may experience in life, whatever that might be, that God begins to develop this, um, this worshipful heart that cannot be easily moved, that is, moved away from the Lord. You know, I'm reading all the time people deconstructing in their faith, and once believed, now they don't believe, and, and it's become a real trend, and people have lost their their love for the Lord, their joy in the Lord, their worship for the Lord. And so I, don't, I, I want us to, to, us to re maintain that. And, and here's why it's, it's so important is because um, our nervous system has been hardwired for um, pleasure, for happiness, for comfort, right? But your soul has been hardwired for growth, and what the Bible says to us over and over again, the way that God grows us oftentimes is through the most painful events that we experience in life. Now, in the flesh, we want to remain what? I don't want pain. I don't want suffering. I don't want trials. I don't want persecution. I don't want to really have to put my faith on the line. I don't want to have to wade out in the deep waters in order to experience the deep work of God in the deepest part of me. 
No, I, I want to remain on the seashore where, you know, I'm ankle deep. I might get up to my knees, but I can, I can easily back away, pull away. I can easily maintain control rather than being out in the deep waters where I have no control over what the weather might be doing and the waves and all those other things. In other words, growth forces us outside of our comfort zones. And this is where spiritual formation takes place and what Paul is going to be talking about in Romans chapters 5 through 8. And um, it's growing us in the likeness of Jesus. And as Jesus grew and you know, in wisdom and stature and favor of God and men. Did, did Jesus experience some painful things? Absolutely he did. If you look all through the Bible, it doesn't matter who it is. Joseph, David, Moses, Abraham, Peter, Paul, they all had very painful experiences in life, and God used those experiences in their life in order to develop and forge a very deep faith and crafting their character. And because they, like us, had a calling on their life, they were willing to walk with the Lord wherever it took them without deconstructing. You know, um, God has placed a calling upon your life because he has designed you for purpose. Now, most of the time we talk today about our careers and we get wrapped up in careers and careers are all great, wonderful, but your calling intersects with your career. You know, we, we tend to segregate our, um, our, our walk with Jesus. You know, this is my career, this is my church life, this is my family life, this is my time with Jesus, this time with, in sports and hobbies. And yet Jesus says, I want to be at the hub, I want to be at the center, I want everything to flow out of this relationship so it intersects because a calling is, is something I, I do for God and it can be replaced by a career that threatens to become my God. A career is something I choose for myself. A calling is something that you have received from the Lord. A career is something you do for yourself. A calling is something you do for the Lord. A career promises status and money and power. A calling generally promises us difficulties and problems and opportunities to be used by God. A career ends with retirement. A call ends at death. And so God has called us to wade out in the deep waters to allow him to deepen our faith and to strengthen our character that we might live the life of Jesus in our career, wherever we are, whoever we're interacting with, whoever we're having community with. And so spiritual formation, therefore, will always, always force us outside of our comfort zones. You know, as my wife reminded me this morning, you know, out of the psalm, Psalm 23, one of my favorite psalms, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He will make me lie down in green pastures, and God has made me lie down in green pastures. Because I'm one of those guys who's just like, go, 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 go. And my wife has been after me forever to slow down, slow down, slow down. She even bought me a book to read on you know, spiritual formation through silence and time with the Lord. And it's like, yeah, okay, babe, I'm, I'm reading it. And, and all of a sudden, God's like, well, I'll, I'll make you slow down. I'll, I'll put you in the green pasture. And the reason we don't like to go outside our comfort zone because we feel nervous and uncomfortable there, and it's the way, though, that we follow the Lord, and this often happens in the midst of problems and difficulties. So when we come to 107 of the book of Psalm, there are four word pictures that the psalmist gives to us pertaining to problems and difficulties and trials in life 
that God uses to formulate Christ within us. And so it is really a psalm that celebrates the friendship and the faithfulness of God. It is a hymn of thanksgiving for his, his deliverance. And these four word pictures uh, of circumstances faced by God's people along with their journey in life, there is a common overlapping theme. And it is, it is this, it is the feeling of human helplessness. We don't like to feel helpless. We don't like to feel out of control. We don't like to feel needy. But this is where God brings us sometimes, where we are helpless and we are needy and we are reliant on somebody else and we have a circumstance that is outside of our control. We have no ability to control the outcome. We have no ability to do only what God shares with us to do. And so these four word pictures are this. Number one is in the desert, the time of a desert. He says in verse 4, so some wandered into the desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they, they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty, and their lives ebbed away. I mean, life is like that sometimes, right? It just seems desolate. It seems barren. Even as a believer, you can be walking with the Lord, and, and over time, it just like, um, wow, it just seems desolate and barren, and you know, you just don't feel as close to the Lord, and you don't feel like your prayers are getting beyond the ceiling, and you, you look in God's Word, and it's like eating a bale of hay, and you don't find much nourishment there, and it's just now you just kind of start going through the motions, and there's this spiritual desert that is happening within you. And so life can seem desolate and barren in our souls, starving for emotional and spiritual nourishment in order to stay alive. Some people are in the desert of loneliness. Some are wandering in the routine of futility where they just work all week long and they live for the weekend and that's their oasis, but it doesn't really pan out very well. So we work all week long and back to the oasis of the weekend and work all week long. And it's just like you're in this hamster wheel constantly looking for something through that oasis of the weekend, but it's just not fulfilling. It's not lasting. It's not satisfying. And you just feel like life is a is a desert. Some, they desire affluence, which is yielding far less than they, an, they anticipate. And so you're wandering without hope and without help, and you're trying to find your way out, and nothing seems to be working. The second picture he gives to us is that of a prison. In chapter 107, verse 10, he says, some sat in the darkness in the deepness, deepest gloom, prisoners suffering in iron chains, for they had rebelled against the words of God and despised the counsel of the most high. And so he subjected, subjected them to a bitter labor. They stumbled and there was no one, there was no one to help. Prisoners of all varieties keep, as he says in verse 10, sufferings in iron chains. Uh, many people have exercised their freedom of choice as God has given to us, but those choices over time have a cumulative value and over time, small choices have big results because of those cumulative values. And I made one small decision, one small choice, but it just kept growing and magnifying. And now all of a sudden, I'm a drug addict. I'm an alcoholic. I'm, I am addicted to gambling. I, I am a sex addict or I'm, I'm driven by food or fear or gambling or approval or I have this emotional dependence. There's this codependency. And so this is what a prisoner is like. It's like, I, I, I don't like these things. I want to get away from these things, but now I feel entrapped. I feel shackled. I feel imprisoned to, to all of this. 
And some are locked in the prison they didn't even choose, the prison of abuse, the prison of persecution. Um, however you arrived at this, many sit in the darkness of prisons on a daily basis in the shadow of a spiritual or physical death that's looming over them. This is the world we live in, right? This can even happen to believers. We can find ourselves in this moment of prison. There is the third picture is that of a hospital. Verse 17, some became fools through their rebellious ways and suffered affliction because of their iniquities. They loathed all food and draw near to the gates, gates of death. And sometimes by our own choices, we can find ourselves in the ICU of life, hanging on to life by a thread. Not all illnesses are the results of our poor choices or afflictions that we have brought upon ourselves, but we know that when the body is in pain and when it is hurting and, and um, it, it just wears on you and it, it takes its toll over time as you're trying to navigate through this. And so some people poison themselves by their own transgressions and some, this is just a part of living in a fallen world, but the fact of the matter is they... We need a word from God. We need healing from God, and we need deliverance out of the distress that we find ourselves in. And so it might be that you are either living in the desert or in a prison or in a hospital, or the, third, or the fourth one, which I really want to focus on, is that of a storm. He says in verse 23, others went out to the sea in ships, so they were merchants on the mighty waters, and they saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep. Where he spoke and stirred up a tempest and that lifted high the waves and they mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths in their pearl, peril. They, they, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like, like drunken men. The place of a storm. And I think this is sometimes the most dramatic of the four because if I have... Um, if I'm in a desert, there are many things I can do to get myself out of the desert. If I'm in a prison, there, there are all kinds of ways that, um, I, you know, things I can engage myself in that can help me break those shackles and those chains. And if I'm in a hospital, we have modern medicine, and, and, and modern medicine does incredible things. But when you're in a storm, like if you're in a tornado, my wife and I have, have, have lived through two tornadoes, and, or if you're in a tsunami or a hurricane, the mother nature, nature is outside the realm of your control. When we were in uh, one tornado that was hitting our church right beside our house and hitting our house, we, we were just gathered our kids. We had no basement. We sheltered in the bathroom in the center of the house. And you're praying, right? You're, you are praying because you have, you have no control over the winds that are around you. You have no control over what is happening because there's nothing you can do. But rely and put your trust in the Lord to see you through that particular storm in your life and you feel helpless and you, you just pray. Now, in all four of these word pictures, there is a process that is unfolded in each one of these and they are identical. There is the distress, there is the desperate cry, there is deliverance, and then there is... There is deliberate worship. And so look at the distress. Look in the place of this storm. He says in verse 23 that the merchants are on the mighty waters. And so, which introduces to us the element of risk in life where they are forced to depend upon God. Uh, these mighty waters, this is not like wading in the, 
you know, in the ankle deep or up to your knees. This is like, these are um, seasoned sailors who are out in the mighty waters and knowing that they have no control over the waves, they have no control over the wind, all they can do is rely upon the skills that they have as, as merchants and trust in God, right? They're, they're, I'm sure they are praying, whether atheist or not, it doesn't matter. When people you know, are confronted with certain issues in your life, they just start calling out to whatever God is, is their God. And so this is what God does with us, right? He, he moves us out into deep waters because it's in the deep waters, as I said, that God does his deepest work. And there's no safety net there. You know, my wife and I have cruised on many occasions, and on one particular cruise, we're out in the ocean, and you can't see anything but ocean. And a large storm came up. Now, cruise ships are equipped with large stabilizing bars that come out underneath the ship to help stabilize them in rough seas. But this time, the seas were so rough, those stabilizing bars could not hold back that ship rocking back and forth. In fact, it was rocking back and forth so violently, they had to cancel all of the shows, so the actors couldn't even stay on the stage because the front of the ship is going like this, and people are getting sick. And, I mean, when you find yourself in a wave like this, this is what he means by the, the mighty waters, the place of the storm. It is something that is... Wow, it is beyond your control. You, you're hanging on for dear life. You're just wondering how long this is going to last and, and where this is going to take us. And so perhaps like Jesus' disciples, you have been called out into the open sea in your life. There are many occasions which Jesus said, for example, to Peter, listen, I want, you to lo- I want you to launch out into the deep and I want you to fish out there. Now, if you know anything about the Sea of Galilee, it's much like... Um, some of the lakes around here, like Lake Erie, where you're out on the sea and storms can come up very rapidly and very quickly. And, but yet that's the deep waters is where Jesus said the fish were. And so oftentimes God calls us. That's where his greatest work of faith is done within us. Sometimes churches even fail to grow beyond a certain point because we are afraid to launch out into the deep. Because launching out into the deep requires risk. It requires faith. It requires trust in God as you have never trusted him before. But it's in the deep waters of life, the risky places, that God's greatest work is done. Notice who the producer of this storm is. It is the Lord who sent this storm. Right? This wasn't just something that happened um, haphazardly. He says, they saw the works of the Lord, <laughs> right? his wonderful deeds in the deep. For he spoke, who spoke? The Lord spoke, and he stirred up a tempest, a tempest that lifted high the waves. Now, most Christians are very uncomfortable with the fact that God sends storms into our lives. Now, Satan can send storms. You can create your own storms. But whether you created it out of some sinful act or some mistake that you've made, or Satan is sending it for a purpose that only he knows or God allows it or filters it, it comes, it comes filtered through his hands. Nothing filters through the hands of God that which he does not have control over. And so sometimes God sends the storm, and we don't like that. I mean, think about um, Jonah. Why did God send a storm in Jonah's life? 
Because God had issued a calling upon Jonah's life to do what? I want you to go out into the deep. I want you to go to the city of Nineveh. I know that they are your hated enemy, but I want you to take them the gospel. I want you to say, repent, for judgment is about to come. And Jonah did what? I'm not doing it. I'm not going. I'm not risking it. I hate them anyways. So he went down to Tarshish, found a ship that was going to take him in the exact opposite direction. And what did God do? God stirred up a storm in his life that caused fear in the hearts of the sailors. They start tossing cargo overboard. And finally, it is revealed to them that Jonah's the problem. So they toss him. They just chuck him overboard. And God has prepared a big submarine for him to spend three days in. What did Jonah do in that submarine? He cried out to the Lord. He came to his senses. He said, Lord, I will go. And where did that submarine spit him out? On the shores of Nineveh. He walks into Nineveh. He gives his message. And the grace of God falls upon that city because people who are far from God repented of their sin and turned their hearts and their lives towards their creator. Now, the belief that you could run away from God demonstrates an appallingly limited view of God. Jonah's theology was way, way too small. In other words, God had a purpose for the storm. When God allows storms into our lives, there's always a root cause as to why he would do that. He is doing something. He is forming. He is fashioning. He is he is molding you into the image of Jesus in somehow, someplace, and for a reason because God has a calling on your life, and that calling will remain intact until the day that you draw your last breath here on planet Earth. And notice the, the peril of the storm in verse 26 and 27. I love this. It says, they were at their wit's end. <laughs> you ever been at your wit's end? Usually that means I'm so frustrated, I just don't know what to do. And sometimes that's the way the storms of life are. We, we just get at our, our wit's end, and God has put you in a place where you don't know what to do, and everything is outside of your control, and you're praying, and you're seeking, and you're, you're trying to find God in the midst of this, and you've got questions, and you want answers. Now, here's where the enemy gets us, is that when we have questions, and we're trying to figure out why God has put us in this storm, or why we're walking in this desert, or we're in this prison, or we are facing this, this hospital, uh, the lies of the enemy all of a sudden begins to creep into the thought process of your mind. Because his whole goal is to steal and to kill and destroy. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy your desire for worship. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy your authentic joy. He wants to deconstruct your faith as fast as he can so that you walk away embittered at God, mad at God, unwilling to trust God, and you just chuck it all over the, bo the boat. So let me give you a few lies that he intersects into our thought processes when you're going through a storm in life. There are many, but I'm going to give you a few. The lie of comparison. This is when Satan lo loves for you to look at your life and then compare it with everybody else. And you start wishing you had what they had. Right? He'll mix a little jealousy, sift in a little coveting, add a dash of woe is me and throw in some jealousy and... A few lines of, well, God must not love you. He must love this person more than you. It is so, so easy to do. When you are going in, in, a, 
you know, you're walking through your desert, you're in your prison, you're in your, your uh, hospital, you're in the midst of your storm. It is so easy for our minds to go to that comparison that says, Lord, but after all, this is what I've done. This is who I am. This is how I've walked after you. This is how I've served you. This is what I've done on behalf of you. This is how I think I've tried to bring glory to your name. And why is it that I am in this storm, but so-and-so, they're not in the storm. They don't care about you. They don't walk with you. They barely show up to church. They don't even read their Bible. I doubt they even pray. I doubt they even give. Why is it that this isn't happening to them, but it's happening to me? We get in that mindset, and Satan loves for us to wallow in comparison. Your mind begins to feed on that, and pretty soon you are convinced that God isn't good. He has no intention in blessing you. God doesn't love you. In fact, I don't even know if he really even likes you. And then that leads into the lie of worthlessness. You begin hearing, I'm not good enough. No matter what you have accomplished or how much truth from God's word that you have heard over the years, you just believe you are not enough. Because all of a sudden, Satan begins to erect this standard that you feel like you've fallen short of, and now you're going to get on this treadmill of work, 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 and you're going to earn God's love, and you're going to earn his, his trust, and you're going to earn everything, and so you, you just, but you just, it's just like never enough. It's never enough. No matter how much I do, it's just never enough. I am never enough. And maybe someone told you that you would never amount to anything, or maybe a spouse walked out on you, or a parent bailed on you, or the right Male, man, man or woman who you long for walk, never walk through the door and you just have this I'm not enough anthem that was composed in the pit of hell that rolls over and over in your heart and your mind. It's crippling, it's debilitating, it's paralyzing, it is suffocating. And the lie whispers you are useless and you will never have what it takes. You are a spiritual reject. Which leads us to the lie that everyone is against you. When you believe the lie that everybody is against you, you are convinced very quickly that everybody hates you. Now, there may be a few people that hate you in life. I don't know. But when you convince yourself that everybody is against you and everybody hates you, and, and now all of a sudden you, you just can't, you can't navigate um, Somewhere in the past, you have developed this defensive posture and this untrusting nature that has become your default mechanism, and so now you just build walls, right? You just build them higher and taller and thicker, and so you might step out beyond that wall via social media because you can, via social media, hide behind that wall, and, and so you can inflict all kinds of pain upon others because of the self-loathing pain you have against yourself. And then there's the lie of, Jen, there's just no way out, right? The enemy convinces you that there is nowhere to turn, nowhere to run. You'll never be free again. The consequences of your bad decisions are closing in around you, the betrayal of a friend or it's just like more than you can take. Your reputation is toast. You're going to lose your job. Listen, Jesus didn't send a message or messenger to tell you how valuable you are. He brought himself. 
He showed up in person. And this was Paul's deal. It's like, listen, this is how God demonstrated his love for you. That while you were yet sinful, rebellious, ungodly, Jesus showed up on the scene and he died for you because you are valuable. Do not, do not swallow the lies of the enemy. If God has you in a storm, if he has you in a hospital, in a, in a, a prison or in the desert part of your life, it's not a forever thing because we're going to see they're going to cry out in desperation and there's going to be a time of deliverance. You're not there forever, but God is doing a work that is within you. And so here's the second aspect is that it says in all four instances, it says in verse 28 under the storm, then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he brought them where? Out of their distress. When you cry out desperately, you refine the art of a uh, very concise prayer. It's the title of this message. Jesus, I need help. I need you. I've got no other recourse here. I need you and I need you now. I'm not talking about prayers that we pray in our daily devotions, our quiet times. I'm talking about a, a prayer that is a crisis prayer that is willing to wait upon the Lord. And that word wait upon the Lord in the Hebrew, there are three different words that are used of waiting. And if you were to tie all those together for the sake of time, we don't have time this morning, but it means to, to cry out silently, waiting with a strong, calm trust, longing for God's presence, eagerly expecting him to show up so that you experience oneness as God braids his heart with your heart so that the two begin to beat as one. You know, when we get to heaven, I think we'll realize that God has engineered the storms in our lives to drive us to our knees and remind us that our self-sufficiency is absolutely inadequate for the challenges that we face. And then there was divine deliverance. It says in verse 29, he stilled the storm to whisper the waves of the sea, hushed were hushed, they were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to their desired haven. In other words, God is going to get you where it is he wants you to be. Oftentimes, Jesus would stick the disciples in a boat, and he would say, I want you to cross over the Sea of Galilee. I want you to go to Capernaum, or I want you to go here. And they would get out in those boats. A strong storm would come. One point, Jesus is asleep in the front of the boat. Another time, Jesus isn't even with them. They look out, and they see him walking on water. He invites Peter out onto the water, into the deep waves. And, you know, you might criticize Peter for sinking, but those guys, the 11 guys that were in the boat watching him, they never knew what it was like to walk on water because they would never step out into the deep waters. Peter had that experience. And so... Every time, what did Jesus do? He calmed the storm. He spoke to nature. He brought about peace. He took them to where it is he told them they are going. And the reason why we can have absolute full trust and confidence in the deliverance of God is because God will always get us to where it is he is taking us. We are far more secure in the storm with Jesus in our boat than we will ever be on the shoreline without him. 
And if you've opted to pursue an adventure of following Jesus, you have discovered quite quickly that it is not a limousine ride. But God crafts our character in the deserts and the prisons and the hospitals and the storms of life. He is the only one who can bring us peace and strength when all around us is falling to pieces. Now, God, in his deliverance, he doesn't have a, like, cookie-cutter, I'm going to deliver everybody in the same way, in the same fashion, in the same time frame. But there are three things that you see that bears out in Scripture. God may, God may deliver you miraculously. I mean, God has the ability to do that, right? Let's say you have a physical problem, and God may very well choose to heal you miraculously. The book of Acts is filled with examples of believers carrying out the mission of Jesus to heal the sick. I mean, you don't read in Scripture where God heals someone physically apart from someone who is being used of God to lay hands on and to pray for them, that God has always used humanity in order to bring his, his resources from heaven to earth. And we see that all throughout the Scripture. Jesus said, this is my purpose for coming, to heal the brokenhearted, to set the captives free, to bring sight to the blind, to liberate the oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And God has the power, the capacity to heal, to save, to deliver miraculously if he so chooses. Amen? I've experienced some of that in my life. But it's not an everyday occurrence, right? Miracles are not something that are, transpire in your life every week. But they are unique times that you have with God that forever change the direction of your life, that forever marks you in your walk with the Lord. And you'll never be the same. Sometimes God delivers us through practicality, uh, miracles are not the only way God operates throughout the Bible. He also helped people in ordinary, practical ways rather than overt, supernatural ways. And that's why mature Christians pay special attention to things like accidents and misfortunes and coincidences that may befall them. Because in reality, there are no such things, only the providential ordering of a God who watches over his prayerful, trusting children and whose unseen hand is guiding and guarding and arranging and rearranging circumstances to bring about our deliverance. And sometimes God may deliver mysteriously. Mysteriously. We do not always understand what and why God is doing something in the way that he is. For example, in the last letter that the Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Timothy, he said this, chapter 4 and verse 18, The Lord will deliver me from every evil work, and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. And yet just a few days after Paul penned those words, he was beheaded. His body and head thrown into a grave. Was he, after all, delivered? Yes, he was. He was snatched away from the evil that surrounded him. He was moved from tears and pain and stress and sickness and taken where Satan could no longer harass and he was present with the Lord, which, which is far better. Paul even talked to that out, man. I, I long to stay here with you, but man, I also long to be with the Lord. And either way, I, I, I'm, I'm winning here, right? I'm, God, God, is, God is preserving me. God is, God is moving me. He's taking me where it is that he wants. 
And so I don't know how God may choose to deliver you, whether miraculously or practically or maybe even mysteriously in that God operates in ways and he says there are some things that he holds in mystery that we will never understand this side of heaven. I don't even know if we'll understand it on the other side of heaven. There's no guarantee of that, but I have to trust in the Lord. And so this brings us to deliberate worship. In each and every instance, all of a sudden they break out. Let us give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. Let them exalt him in the assembly of the people and praise him in the council of the elders. Listen, Satan has no power to keep the saints of God from worshiping, and nothing stops Satan in his tracks quicker and more firmly than when God's people are worshiping. Not just private worship, but also corporate worship. And the beauty of this is that this Seemingly insignificant choice every day that we make in worshiping our Lord has that, again, cumulative value and effect in our lives, and that choice begins to become a habit, and that habit becomes a character, and a character becomes a destiny, and so we, we choose to worship the Lord, whether we are in the desert, we are in the prison, we are in the hospital, we are in the storm, wherever it is, we choose to worship Him, and notice how they worship, they worship Him with thanksgiving. We worship him with thanksgiving. The Bible says we are to come into before his presence with thanksgiving and be thankful and bless his name, to enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Rather than just backing up our truck and dumping all of our ordeal on God's desk, he says, no, we come first and we come with hearts filled with, with worship. As we're crying out, as we're pouring out our hearts before the Lord, you know that is a part of worship. God has never told us to paint a smile on our face when we're facing these aspects of our lives and act like it doesn't hurt and act like we're all spiritual because, you know, I'm not sad and I'm not crying. Nothing could be further from the truth. I believe that crying and weeping before the Lord is just as much an act of worship if you are devastated than anything else. But in the midst of it all, I come with this thankful spirit. As I was driving home from the hospital on Friday after my CT scan, I, I thought, you know what, Lord, thank you for the medical field. I mean, for, to me, it is absolutely incredible that someone can look into my kidneys by shoving me through this donut-looking thing and putting iodine into my veins and make this contrast to see what might be happening inside of my kidneys. I mean, I thank God that someone, that God gave someone the ability to, you know, create that so that we, I mean, think about back in, you know, 100 years ago, you just have to suffer. I mean, the best they could do is give you some kind of oil or something to drink, and hopefully you, you, you survived. We worship him wholeheartedly. He says his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds, they, they exalt him. You know, we yell and we scream at football games. We, we don't want to come and mindlessly worship God. We want to engage with him, and we worship him courageously. He says, in the assembly of the people and the council of the elders. Uh, I mean, for me, that means our worship ought to spill out into the streets. This is where our calling intersects with our career. We are worshiping God as we are courageously proclaiming the deeds of God in our lives, and we worship him intelligently. We come with a boldness. We come in the face of trouble without fear, we come with confidence because of our Heavenly Father. When life falls apart, your faith will be stretched the most. Satan tries to limit our worship.
worship because he knows that your worship will limit him. I love uh, a statement by Steve Lawson. Uh, He says this, every Christian is enrolled in Christ's school of discipleship. The only curriculum is the Bible. The primary teacher is the Holy Spirit. The unannounced tests are trials that come in various forms, like deserts and prisons and hotel, hospitals and and storms. Uh, There are no dropouts. The graduation rate is 100%, and recess is not until heaven. So I want to close this morning with uh, reading to you um, an email I received this week from a person who watches online with us. This individual was a member of my church when I was in Elyria, Ohio. Um, you know, we haven't talked with each other for a long, long time, and she found me on Facebook and found out, you know, we're live streaming our services, has been watching now for quite a long time, and I send her my outlines every week, and she um, reached out to me to tell me her story in full, uh, and I just want to share this with you because it really culminates what, what the psalmist is driving at here, that yes, when we are in distress and we cry out in desperation, anticipating God's divine deliverance, until that deliverance comes, we just deliberately worship him. And here's what she said, I wanted to reach out to you to tell you my story, my full story, my truth story. Many, many years ago, I had enrolled in classes at Lorraine County Community College. I have told you that story. Sitting at the red light, something drew me to the church. I was so lost and angry at the time. What I found by coming into College Heights Baptist Church was a pastor that truly understood my feelings as he had felt them at one time in his life as well. Instead of telling me I was wrong for questioning God and being angry with God, He helped me understand that God loved me regardless of my feelings at the time. In that church, I found peace and acceptance. Coming to church and spending time with um, my newfound church family was the best thing that happened to me. I started to understand and come to the terms with my anger and how to live a better life with God. Instead of being angry with God for taking my grandparents, I thanked him for the time that I had with them, the memories that we made, and the lessons that I learned from them. Although my time with the church was short, I carried my new relationship with God with me for many years. I had attended a couple of churches over the years, but never found or felt the same as I did at College Heights. Many years later, I was diagnosed with cervical cancer. I still remember that day that I was diagnosed as if it were yesterday. I remember the feeling of absolute fear that came over me. I had a child that I had to take care of, what was going to happen to him when I died. I didn't entertain the notion that I may not die as my grandparents were taken from me by cancer. I had no doubt that I was going to die from it. I was 27 years old and terrified. I couldn't talk with my family about my fears as they were also terrified and I didn't want to address, add to their stress. I didn't tell my friends as they had their own lives that they were dealing with. My husband at the time used my diagnosis to his own benefit. I truly felt like I was all alone until I opened up my line of communication with God again. To say that I was surprised that he still answered the proverbial phone is an understatement. My reestablished relationship with God not only helped me through my treatments and eventually to surviving it, but he helped me through the birth of my daughter that was not supposed to happen. An ugly divorce, the loss of my mom to cancer, and the survival of my brother and aunt from cancer, and so many more challenges. I believe that he even led me to First Baptist Church of Groveport 
and the pastor that helped me learn how to have a relationship with him several years prior. In my relationship with God, I have learned gratitude as well. It is because of this that I am writing to you today. I am so grateful and thankful for the many things in my life, and it is not lost upon me that I never said thank you. It is because of you and the time that you took many years ago that I learned how to talk to God, truly understand what faith means and how to just give it to God. I am positive that you have touched and helped more people along the way that are not even aware of, but for me, I am so thankful for your honesty in telling your story so that we didn't feel alone in our thoughts and questions and your dedication to helping us find our way with the Lord. This is where your worship spills over into the streets and you never know whose life you are going to impact. So we're going to take some time in closing today in praying together as a church. I've asked um, Phil, he's heading this up for us, uh, if you would pray for me in my surgery, in my diagnosis. I mean, everything's in the hands of the Lord. This is all outside of my control. Uh, that we would pray as a church for our church. I mean, COVID has hit us hard, and, uh, you know, Caleb is going to only be with us a few more weeks, and, you know, we, uh, let me just say thank you to Caleb. Uh, this will be my last Sunday here for a couple weeks, and it's been a joy and a privilege for me to serve alongside of him, and we are, we're best buddies. We're still best buddies, even though I'm a little ticked at him, but we're still best buddies. Um, I, love, I love that kid and, and just wish the best for him, but we as a church you know, we're going to move forward. God has a plan. He's not sitting up twiddling his thumb in thumbs in heaven wondering what we're going to do. But I believe wholeheartedly in the power of prayer. And let's make this prayer time a worship time. And then after we conclude the prayer time, um, our worship team will come and lead us in a closing song. So, Phil, I'm, gonna, I'm turning this over to you, brother. So for some of us, it's, it's really easy to just pray and connect with God like that. For me, his word really just is what speaks to me. So I want to read a couple of verses before we get into prayer. James tells us to consider it pure joy when we face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. You still got joy? Amen. Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians to pray without ceasing. James James also tells us this in chapter 5 of his epistle. Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. 
Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And I've said many times that one of my favorite passages in the Bible, Romans 1.16 is my favorite verse, but one of my most meaningful passages to turn to is Philippians 4. In verses 6 and 7, it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let us be thankful, guys. Make your requests known to God, and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. So whether you're hurting, whether you're sick, whether things are awesome, always come to God with thanksgiving and let him, let him hold you in his arms. Let him know that he is your all in all and seek him first, his kingdom and his righteousness. And he's going to hold you firm in his foundation. And... You know, I'm sitting here and I'm in tears because we can tell you, but sometimes you don't know how much you mean to all of us. So I want to I wanna pray for him. And I want to pray for our church. And I want to pray for Caleb as we commission him to go and continue the work that God has put on him. He's not leaving us. He's starting something new. God is pushing him out of what's comfortable into a new place. He's not leaving us. We're sending him out. So I've asked several people to come. So if you know if you're going to pray come up. Everybody come up here together. And when we're finished praying, if anybody else wants to come and pray, you're more than welcome to pray. Becca, I'm going to have you start. Is that okay? Sorry, here's Becca. Father God, we come before you with our hands open on our knees, heads lifted high, eyes turned to you. Father God, that we know in you there is perfect peace. And so Father God, right now, we pray perfect peace over Greg and Marla and their daughters and their family. Father God, we pray with the certainty of those who have already experienced your healing, the healing of the death that we faced. You didn't just heal us, you took us from death to life. And if you can do that, then what else can you do? You can do anything. So we are not limiting you. We are not putting you in a box. We are not telling you what to do because God, what you have in store for us is greater than anything we could ask or imagine. 
Father God, we thank you for this church, for this family. Lord, this is not just a building of people. This is a family that you have knit together with the blood of your son. God, we have gone through so much together. And it has brought us closer. And I pray, Father God, I know that right now in this moment we are being knit even closer together than ever before. Through our love for Pastor Greg and our prayers and our desires for good for him, for our blessing of Caleb as he goes forward and for the thankfulness that we have in our hearts towards him and all he has meant to our church. And for one another, Lord, because we, we are a family and we love one another. We want to see each other grow in wisdom and knowledge, in the strength of your power and your spirit. So Father God, we thank you for the good that is going to come from this moment right here and right now. We bring our thanksgiving to you ahead of time because we know you are going to do a good work. We know that your blessings will fall and we stand and we accept all that you have in store for us, God. I pray, Lord, for hope, for perseverance, for encouragement. When the lies come and try to speak against the truth that we are proclaiming today and the faith that we hold fast to, I pray, Lord, that when those lies come, we will identify them and we will knock them down with your truth, with the truth of your scripture, with encouragement from those around us. Father God, I pray that we would strengthen one another so that we will not let each other fall. Because we have a responsibility to one another to build each other up, to speak truth into one another's lives. And Father God, as we go forward, let that be our heart. That we not grow as a church in number, but we grow as a church in strength and power and love. Because Father God, when those things happen, we will not be contained within these walls. We know that your blessings come in unfamiliar ways. That they may come in raindrops and tears, but they come. So God, we ask you, send the rain to wash us clean and to fill us to overflowing with your blessings. And as we feel that rain hitting us, we will stand firm on you. Because God, that is the reason why we are standing at all. We love you, Lord.
God, we just come to you with grateful hearts, and we just thank you so much for Pastor Greg. We thank you so much for Marla and their family and their faithfulness over the years, God, and their loyalty. God, they have been with so many of us through so many different things in our lives. And God, they've just been there. They've been there in prayer. They've been there in encouragement. And this is our time to rise up and support them. Not that we haven't over the years, but God, they need us right now in their storm. So God, I pray that we would be just like you sent your people with Moses as he sits and goes through his storm, that we would lift his arms and Marla's arms and the girl's arms and one another's arms so that we can still worship you. God, we trust that you are going to do something great, that you are going to grow our faith, that you're going to do amazing things through this church, that this would not be a time to be discouraged. But as you say in Philippians 4, after you tell us to be thankful and after you tell us to make that great exchange of anxiety for your peace, you tell us to think on what's true and good and noble and praiseworthy. And so, God, we just call out the things that are, that are not of you, the things that are frustrating, the things that are making us angry, all of the questions and all of the doubt, and that we would cast them back to the pit where they're from and we would stand on your truth, God, that this is our time to stand together, to be part of what you're going to do next, to instead of stepping back or, or turning away, that we would look to you and say, what are you calling me to do? What do you want me to be in your kingdom on earth, God? God, we trust in your word from Isaiah 43 that says when we are in deep waters, they will not come over us, that when we are in fire, we will not be burned. And God, that passage goes on to say to forget the former things, to not dwell on the past, but to look and see that you are doing a new thing, God. We don't know what that new thing is for each one of us or collectively as your church, but God, we know that it is good. We know that we are a part of it. Help us to choose to be obedient to what you have next for each one of us, God. Let us to be diligent to pray. Let us be diligent to seek you. God, tune our hearts to you so that we can serve one another effectively, so that we can serve our pastor and his family fervently, that we wouldn't be so busy and so consumed with the things of this world that we would overlook those opportunities to, to be your hands and your feet right here to one another, God. We just praise you. We just thank you for what's going to come. God, we pray over the doctors and nurses that are going to be serving Pastor Greg tomorrow. We pray that they would be extensions of you as the great physician. God, that you would just do a, a new thing in Pastor Greg's heart, in the lives of those serving him. If there is anyone attending to him that doesn't know you, give a divine opportunity for him to speak your hope to them. God, we are just expectant and we're trusting in you. We pray this in your name. Father God, we come before you this morning. What words can I bring to the King of Majesty that knows all our thoughts? God of all creation, you understand our, our hearts and our minds and the blessings that we've all received in this community of faith, God. Father, this morning I pray for 
not just my pastor and friend, mentor, but God, I just, I cry out to you for Greg Cooper, the father, the husband, the grandfather. God, you are not done. He has many stories to read, songs to praise you. I've not met another in my life, Lord, that loves you more and the souls of lost people and the people he leads and shepherds and serves. So, God, I just cry out to you this morning. I cry out, God, that you would just continue to do this work here. Jehovah Rapha, healing God. God, tomorrow I pray that, that you will give the doctors wisdom, that you would just work through every instrument in their hands, that you would guide them to practically remove everything that needs to be removed. Or God, that your healing would cause them to look in astonishment of your power and your healing, that it would be completely gone when they go looking. But God, we trust you and whatever the method is tomorrow, we cry out to you for healing. We ask that you, you just cleanse his body of any disease God, we know that, that you know every fiber. And we just pray that your spirit moves through every fiber of his body, even now. That that healing would just be in this very moment, God, because we trust you with our whole heart. We know the end of the story, God. So our cry is not out of fear, it's, it's out of joy and it's out of anticipation for what you continue to do in this place. And in Greg and his family, God, I just, I just pray that you give him many, many days with Marla and the girls and those precious grandchildren. So God, I just lift them up to you. Oh God of Jacob, we cry out. And just trust him into your hands. And I just pray this in Jesus' precious name. Father, it's an honor to walk into your presence that your son died for us, that we have this awesome opportunity to be your people. You are God. As we learn to live with you, and you live with us, and that we love you, and we know you love us. We love our pastor, and we know you love him. We're in this time of, uh, I guess, slightly desperation, but there's glory in it. You're in it. 
we're in it with you. That we might learn to live in the midst of your glory and your joy and your triumphs. That you walk through with us in our difficulties and our problems. That you heal us. You're the great healer. You're the great physician. You can do all things. You spoke this world out of nothing, so there's nothing you can't do. So we ask you for, we ask you for that blessing. You know what that blessing is. You already know what's going to happen. But something you want to move our hearts as a church, as a people, as a body, that we might be moved, that we might move forward, that we might be more courageous we might be more loving that we not, may not miss any details that you have given us that you teach us in your love teach us to love each other help us to walk with you your grace and your mercy and I just ask for your blessing upon this church that we might learn to, to walk together in one purpose and one mind and that you honor God in Jesus name Holy Spirit, we ask you to come. We ask for your presence. You said in your word, in James chapter 5, verse 14, that if anyone is sick, and nowadays that is duh, that the elders should go and lay hands on them. And Father, we are coming today humbly, knowing that you're the only healer that we have. We thank you for all of the nurses and doctors that you've given wisdom to treat us. And I pray that tomorrow that they will know they are treating a child of God. They'll treat him with tenderness and mercy. And I pray you're right there holding his hand the entire time. And I pray the, the same prayer for Marla. I pray that you're there holding her hand. Lord, you said yes to everyone that came and asked you for healing. And we know that your healing always comes. And we just thank you that you hear our prayer. And Lord, all of our children this morning are wearing a Band-Aid somewhere on their body or on their uh, clothes so that we know that we are to speak healing words over those who are sick. And Lord, we just thank you for every opportunity that you've given us to speak healing over Pastor Greg and over Marla and his entire family. And we just thank you that we come before you expecting great and mighty things and we know that your answer is always yes it may not be the yes that we are looking for, but you know everything and you know best. And we thank you for hearing our prayer this morning. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, I pray. I pray a covering over Caleb as he leaves. I pray a covering over every person in this room today that came not only expecting to hear from you, but needs your healing. It's in your name that I pray. Amen.
I'd like to tell you that God has given me a word that he's going to be healed. I just keep saying we're going to be okay because we will. God took me to 2 Chronicles 20. And you should read it. It's about Jehoshaphat. And he was facing a really impossible, overwhelming situation. In fact, it says that he was terrified by the news and begged the Lord for guidance. And what he did was he called all the people to pray and to fast and to worship. And it says in here, he prayed, O Lord God of our ancestors, you alone are the God who is in heaven. You are ruler of all the kingdoms of the earth. You're powerful and mighty, and no one can stand against you. And whenever we are faced with any calamity, such as war, plague, or famine, we can come to stand in your presence in this temple where your name is honored. And we can cry out to you to save us, and you will hear us and rescue us. It goes on to say, we don't know what to do, but we're looking to you for help. If you go on and read it, you know that God did a miracle. But he sent out the worshipers in front of the army. And so I'm just going to ask that tomorrow, his surgery is at 3, that if you get five minutes, that you would worship when you pray. And you just praise God for who he is and for what he's doing in this place. And Lord, we thank you for this church. We thank you for the time with Caleb. And we do pray your blessings on him as he goes forth. And we pray that you would lead us uh, to a new worship leader. And Lord, we just pray for Greg's healing Lord, we pray that this church would be strengthened, that we would be restored, that revival would come. Lord, we feel overwhelmed by the way this year has started. But you're not overwhelmed, and I take comfort in that. You have a plan, even though I don't see it right at the moment. You have a purpose in this, though I may not know it in this moment. But I know that in my entire life you have been faithful. You have answered prayers. You have taken care of us when I saw no solutions. And so, Lord, you have proven to me that you are good and that you are faithful even in this. And I will rest in that in the mighty name of Jesus. Caleb, can you come here for a second? Okay, everyone, we're going to pray for Caleb. If you lift your hands, okay, God says to lift holy hands, and we're going to pray for him. God, I thank you so much for what you're doing in this young man's life. I pray, God, that you would continue to use him mightily for your glory. He's been a major blessing to all of us on different occasions. God, you brought him back to us for a time and a season, and he's been used by you, and we praise you for that. 
So God, I ask now that you would just strengthen him, you'd give him courage and boldness. And as he goes forward to this next step, this next season in life, I pray, Lord, that you would be glorified by everything he does. God, that you would go before him, that your spirit would just indwell him, that you would just come over him and use him. Use him for your glory. Keep him humble. Put men in his, in his life that are going to keep him accountable, that are going to hold him to the fire, God. That he would stick to you like glue. That he would fix his eyes on things above, not on earthly things. And God, I pray that, that through him, people would come to know what worship truly is. And Father, they would worship you in spirit and in truth. Go before him and keep him close by your side. In Jesus' name I pray. Love you, Caleb. Okay. I'm going to close this out. It won't be very long. But I want to say that I love you, and I know that God has you in his arms. He always does. And my prayer is that he would heal you. He would find whatever's going on inside of you, and that those doctors would have the wisdom to treat it as such. Let's pray one more time. Father, thank you so much for who you are in each of our lives. I pray, God, that you would grant each one of us repentance where it's needed. And Father, that you would draw us near to you. That, God, when we see those flaming arrows of the evil ones, God, that we would stand firm in truth. That, God, we would run from the devil so that he will flee from us. We stand firm in your word. We stand firm on you. You are the great physician. You're the mighty healer the mighty God, the Prince of Peace. You're our wonderful counselor. Jesus, you are our mighty God. So I pray for healing over Greg. I pray that as the doctors go in tomorrow, that, they, that the tumor is completely removed. And Father, I pray for complete healing for Pastor Greg. And I pray that as you draw him near, as he leans on you, for your wisdom and understanding and not on his own, God, that he comes out on the other side of this surgery with a new, just revived spirit, just an just a overwhelming joy in knowing that you love him, you hold him in your hands, you've never let him go. And God, I pray that through that, it would revive this church. Father, I pray that each one of our spirits would be united. That, God, as we walk in step with the Holy Spirit, that, God, you be glorified by everything we do and say as a body of believers. That this family would be a family. And that, God, you would be glorified through us. Father, we thank you that we're even, we even have the opportunity to serve you in any way. So, Father, be glorified. Use us through this hard time, through this trial. Let us consider it pure joy and let it Teach us perseverance. And Father, make us new on the other side. God, we just, we just humble ourselves before you right now. And we give you praise. We love you. We thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. God, thank you that you have made a way for each and every one of us. We praise you, Father, for who you are and all you do. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Let's just stand together as we just close this time singing together, as Marla said, just worshiping.